Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And if you're listening for, uh, with us for the first time or maybe like the past several weeks, you know, every now and then I like to make a comment that on Sundays we go through the New Testament and then on Wednesdays we go through the Old Testament. And we just go verse by verse, line upon line and precept upon precept. And uh, systematically through the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament, new interpreting the old and old interpreting the new. And when we do that, we have the full counsel of the Word of God. And it's so beautiful because you understand not just you gain a, a knowledge of the Word of God, but then you understand the character of our Lord. Uh, you understand the things that He likes, the things that He doesn't like, and we can respond accordingly in a, a, a heart of love and a heart that desires to yield and in submission unto Him. And it's so beautiful when we have this full counsel because, you know, we start to see the beauty of obedience in the lives of all these people we have in the Old Testament and New Testament and what an encouragement it is for you and me in our own lives, our day-to-day -day lives. And I say day-to-day -day lives, but keep in mind, we're just, we're, we're passing through. We're sojourners. We're in the world. We're not of the world. You know, we're on a, a journey and that journey is into paradise. Now I speak to believers. If you're a non-believer and you're listening, keep listening. Because the Holy Spirit will, will convict you. The Holy Spirit will speak to you the same way he did with me, the same way he does with everybody. And you're going to feel in your heart, you know what? I need the Lord. I need the Lord. You might not. You might, like, you might know you need the Lord. But remember, the Bible says that light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. You see, and so you have a choice to make. You're at a fork in the road where you have a choice to make. Do you want the light or do you want the dark? It's a hardcore choice and I don't mean to, you know, I say that and I know it sounds kind of abrasive to say it that way, but that's, that's how it is. That's really how it is. You know, you can't really, you can't candy coat, you know, eternity. You can't candy coat truth. Truth is offensive. You know, the, the more carnal I was before I came to Christ, the more offensive the Bible was to me, the more offensive all things holy were to me. But then when I believed in Jesus Christ and I, I surrendered unto him, all of a sudden things that were holy started to become more, not just palatable, but beautiful. And that's how the Lord changes us. That's how the Lord changes you. That's how he changed me. That's how he changes me. He, all throughout the ages, Old Testament and New Testament. And so the question is, is like, you know, do I believe? Yes. Okay. Praise the Lord. Now, how much do I want, do I want to grow and mature in Christ? That's a question we always have to ask of ourselves. And here in the church in Corinth, we see a major, major danger behind not maturing in Christ. You know, you see how Paul, he, he indicates, yes, he addresses the sainthood of the church in like chapter one and two. He addresses the sainthood of the church, but then he also addresses their youthfulness and immaturity in Christ. And there's huge danger behind that. Huge, huge danger behind that. I don't want to uh, 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 minimize the fact that, you know, being uh, uh, immature in Christ, I, I don't want to say that it doesn't uh, uh, have its share of risk, its share of dangers, because the Lord desires us. 
us. Remember, we're in the same boat, but the Lord desires us to grow and mature. And I'm never going to get tired of referencing Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, how the writer here says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. You see, and when I say there's a danger behind being a babe in Christ, because without the this understanding of deep spiritual things, that's when people start to toy around with sin. A carnal church. When Paul says, and we're going to get there, you know, in a couple weeks when he says to the church, your rejoicing isn't a good thing, guys. He says that to the church Christians. Your rejoicing is not a good thing. Why? Because there's sin in the camp and Paul has to address those things inside the church to Christians and, you know, in, in the church, but individual Christians as well. And remember, those who are non-carnal, to restore such a person, anybody caught up in sin, anybody caught up in trespass, those who are non-carnal, you see, those are the vessels the tools that God uses to say, hey, cut it out, guys. Come back to Christ. Abide in Christ and grow in Christ. But then what if a carnal Christian says the same thing to a carnal Christian? It doesn't work that way. That's not the equation. That's where you come into hypocrisy. You see, it's to say, wait a second. You know, people say, oh, don't judge me lest you be judged. Wait a second. When you read the truth of scripture, it says, take the plank out of your own eye so that you can see clearly. Don't be a hypocrite. And when you're not a hypocrite and you deny things of the carnal nature, you see clearly. And when you see clearly, you are biblically equipped, biblically able, biblically qualified to correct another brother, to correct another sister. Biblically. And empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, people say, you know, oh, yeah, anybody can do this. Anybody, you know, that's, you know, there's one thing about encouragement. Encouragement is one thing, but biblical qualifications to correct another brother, especially in a church setting, you know, like Christian to Christian, that's one thing, but in a church setting, and then you look at the pastoral leadership, the elders. You know, and I, I don't say look to them, but I say like, look at, you know, for example, let's look at the pastoral staff. Let's look at the elder staff. Let's look at the church leadership. But then you read the pastoral epistles and you see what Paul says to Timothy about the qualifications of a pastor, of an elder, of church leadership. And then you see what he says to Titus about, you know, leadership. And then you look inside your own church and where things are found wanting, you know, where it doesn't measure, it doesn't align with the word of God. I mean, you have pastors who are on wife number five and the wife hasn't died. You know, irreconcilable differences. Pastor on his fifth wife. Oh, this hypocrisy. And such a person is going to teach about biblical marriage? No way. You see, elders who are alcoholics, and such a person is going to teach about, you know, uh, not being an alcoholic. Pastors, elders who are sex heads, and they're going to teach and exhort brothers and sisters about purity. No, it's a hypocrisy. It doesn't work that way. 
So we have to reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead to the glory of the Lord. And the danger that happens when in not doing that, we're going to see that in the church in Corinth, a very, very immature church, very, very immature. This is what Paul says in chapter three, verse one. He says, you know, and, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual. It's uh, uh, how it translates is unto the uh, pneumaticos in the Greek and pneumaticos, which is non-carnal. I can't speak to you like you're non-carnal is what he's saying. You know how sad that is? You take Paul, and not to deify Paul. Paul, Paul is the first one. You read his letters, you see the, the accounts, and when we read the book of Acts, he's the first one to get off the high horse. And not to deify Paul, but let's look at Christ inside of Paul. And when you see Christ inside of Paul, where, you know, we call him Paul, but it's like less of Paul and more of Christ. You see Christ inside of him as he makes a choice to abide in Christ. The wisdom that he has, the wisdom that even Paul, uh, Peter acknowledges when Peter says, you know, Paul speaks about things that a lot of people don't understand. Peter, brother Peter, even acknowledges brother Paul. Not to deify Paul, but to understand that he is a vessel that the Lord is using and has used and is still using today. I mean, look, at we're being exhorted by the writings of Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. 2,000 some years later, give or take a couple years. But do you know how sad it is to have that well of knowledge, that deep, deep, deep well of knowledge and wisdom? And for such a person to say, I cannot speak to you about deep spiritual things. It's not to say, whoa, shame on you, Paul. It's to look at the church and say, what's going on, guys? Why is it? That Paul cannot share deep spiritual things with the church, Christians. I mean, look in, in today's mindset, today's mindset, oh, how dare Paul? That's not very loving, Paul. That's today's mindset. You know, we live in a snowflake generation. That's not very kind, Paul. Oh, I'm offended, Paul. That's, you know, it's not Christ-like. We're supposed to love people, Paul. That's today's generation. Generations change. The generations are like the tides. They change. High tide, low tide. Turn left, turn right. They, they, they go with the wind. That's generationally speaking. But Christ, he's a strong tower. He never changes. No matter how strong the wave, Christ is stronger. The strong tower is stronger. He is our strong tower and we run into him. The righteous run into him. And how sad is it for Paul to say the deep well of knowledge and not just knowledge, wisdom, and not just wisdom, love, and not just love. There's more. I mean, we could say, you know, gift upon gift upon gift. What a deep well of beautiful, beautiful things, a deep well of beauty. Not to deify Paul, but we see Christ inside of him. And for him to say, I can't speak deep things to you guys. I can't. He says, I could not, I and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, as unto pneumaticos, which is the non-carnal. I can't. 
but as to carnal, as to sarkikos, sarkikos, which is carnal, carnal, fleshly, and unregenerate. You know what that says? The old nature is alive and well. Such a people have, I mean, okay, boil it down. Such a person, one person, such a person has not reckoned the old man dead. Such a person has not reckoned the old woman dead. Their old nature is still alive. That's one person, male, female. It doesn't matter. That's one person. Now, if that becomes, if that standard becomes the norm, then such a mindset of not reckoning the old man dead, not reckoning the old woman dead, if that becomes the norm, it's going to go from one person to two people. I mean, let's compound things here. To four people, to eight, to 16, to 32, to 64. And it's going to grow. That mindset. Oh, yeah, I'm good to go. I'm a Christian. I believe. Yeah, praise be to the Lord. Oh, you know, pass me that whiskey. I'm going to get drunk tonight. You see, that's the old nature. That's the old man. That's the old woman. Oh, yeah, I believe. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. Let me snort these lines. That's the old man. That's the old woman. Such a person needs to reckon the old nature dead. Otherwise, they cannot be co-crucified with Christ. You remember how I made a big deal about that when we looked at uh, Ephesians. I'll say it again. I won't get tired of saying this. Actually, it's Galatians. Sorry. <laughs> Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. When Paul says, chapter 2, verse 20, Galatians, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's Paul, Paul speaking, the writer of this book, to the, the, the writer of this letter to the church in Galatia. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, who is Paul, who live, but Christ lives in me. That's Paul. And the life which I now live, that's Paul's life, in the flesh. I live, that's Paul, by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, that's Paul, and gave himself for me, that's Paul. You read verse 20 and understand that, yes, Paul is saying these beautiful words. But then at the same time, it's not to say, you know, oh, this is only for Paul. It doesn't apply to you. It doesn't apply to me. It's not to say that at all. But Paul is dead. Paul is a dead man when he wrote this letter. And when I say dead, I mean he has reckoned the old nature dead. The old man is dead. Now he's alive in Christ. And when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I mean, if you're a Christian, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I say, praise be to the Lord, brother. Praise be to the Lord, sister. But then say, for example, you're also a crackhead, a sex head, a tax cheat, whatever it is. Yes. You are my brother, depending, you know, on, you know, if it's like, you know, like a week in as a new believer and then, you know, you stumble into, you know, 
I still call you my brother. I still call you my sister. But if it becomes habitual, where it's like, you know, you're a Christian, you, you know, you call yourself a Christian, but like that's your life for like 50 years, you know, 30 years. Of, it's, I, I say, wait a second, where's the change? Where's the difference? That's when we get into Hebrews 6, where it's impossible to re-crucify Jesus Christ. But it's babies who make this error. Youth, immature, who make this error. You have to reckon the old man dead. If you're snorting lines and you're a Christian, and you know, say you're a Christian, you, you were born again last week, and then you stumble, you're like, you're, 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 you, you stumble and you're like, okay, I'm going to take a hit of this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I say, wait a second, brother. Wait a second, sister. The old nature isn't dead. That is not Christian behavior. You say, oh, don't, don't judge lest you judge me. Wait a second. I've taken the plank out of my own eye. I can see clearly. And I don't say this to boast, but let my boast be in Christ. I can see clearly to tell you these things ought not to be so. Don't do the crack. Don't do the sex. Don't do the drugs. Don't do the alcohol. Don't be a tax cheat. Don't do this. And you say, okay, I'm not going to do it. You know, go and sin no more. You know, and you repent, Lord, forgive me. The same way I did. I, I say these things like, not like, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this. But, you know, I have to, I, I do this too. I have to do this too. And I do do this too. Lord, forgive me. It's the life of a Christian. It keeps our hearts soft before the Lord. Humility before the Lord. But to be crucified with Christ... Required for that is death. Not natural death. That, that's the Lord's timing. I mean a spiritual death where the old nature is dead. If you're crucified with Christ. This church in Corinth, they have big issues facing this truth. Being crucified with Christ. Some are, some are not. The majority are not. Chloe, her household, they are crucified with Christ. You see? And they, they're in Corinth, and they're in the church in Corinth. A little home fellowship. And they say, hey, Paul, there's some stuff going on here. This stuff isn't good. You see? And Paul, who is non-carnal, goes to restore them. Just as the Bible teaches. Just as the Word of God teaches. And himself in obedience to the, the word and will of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord. Himself in obedience, he writes this beautiful letter to the church and says, I'm going to correct you guys. Not to get on a high horse and say, oh, you know, I'm better than you and I'm going to correct you. It's for the glory of our Lord. It's for his glory, 100%. He's just a vessel. I mean, have you ever been like just super, super thirsty? Say you're out in the desert. You're out in the desert and you're just super, super thirsty. You know, you're like in survival mode. And then somebody gives you a glass of water. You take that glass of water and you drink it, you drink it, and it's the most, it's the most beautiful glass of water. And when you're done, when it's all empty, do you, are you like thankful for the glass? 
did the did, is the glass in your belly did the glass quench your thirst did the glass give you that vibrancy of life no it's outside of the body that's paul he's the glass he's a vessel the living water that's the lord and the living water is inside of you when you consume if you consume and if he's in you you see and then you learn to carry your cross the instrument of death carry your cross reckon the old man dead reckon the old woman dead and then you're crucified with christ and then galatians 2 20 becomes applicable to your life you know how i said i paul have been crucified with christ it is no longer i paul who live but no then galatians 2 20 becomes a biblical truth in your life when the old man is dead when the old woman is dead you see, so many people, so, so many times you hear people say, oh, yeah, I'm crucified with Christ. You know, pass the whiskey. Oh, yeah, I'm crucified with Christ. Let me do my sexual stuff. Oh, yeah, I'm crucified with Christ. I think I'm going to get married for the, you know, fifth time. I don't see crucifixion. I mean, I just call it like I see it. And, you know, you, do you see crucifixion where you see that? Be honest. Do, do you see crucifixion? Uh, a pastor says, oh, yeah, I'm on my fifth wife. Let me teach you about marriage. Fifth wife? What? Do you see crucifixion? Or a pastor says, you know, uh, 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 whatever situation, elder, sexual sin, drugs, alcohol, cheat, taxes, all, you know, I, I, I bring up the big ticket items. Because they're, you know, to not just to prove a point, but to, you know, say like, you know, there's these big ticket items, but look at the little ticket items too. Look at the little ones. Crucified with Christ. And then you have a choice to make. Paul says to the church in Corinth, you guys, I can't speak to you like you're adults. I mean, look in the natural sense. In, in, in the flesh today, right now, right here and now. You know, I'm an adult male, you know, and I'm an adult male. And when I see a baby, you know, I say, oh, you, you know, it's so cute, little baby, you know. I don't always say to babies, but, you know, I don't know. You you see it more with women. I don't That's just me. I, I don't do it very much. But if I see a little kid, I might speak, you know, like little, you know, baby words, you know, not like. I'm not going to give like a, a, a huge, you know, academic dissertation to a, a one-year-old, you know. But, you know, I might, you know, dumb down my message because, you know, I'm speaking to a one-year-old. You know, I don't know, whatever you say to a little kid, you know. You see, adults do it all the time. You know, how they speak to their little kids or how they speak to a, a, a little child. But then how foolish would it be? How foolish would it be? Say, for example, I'm immature and I have arrested development and I'm one years old and, you know, I'm a little kid and you speak to me, you know, goo goo gaga, whatever you say. I don't know. You know, you, you dumb down your message. 
And, and, you know, and then all of a sudden, you're like, okay, that's cool. He's, you know, five months old. He's whatever. You know, he can't understand, you know. So, you know, you do the little, shake the little binky, shake the little rattle, you know. And, you know, you get my attention because I'm a little five-month-year-old. I can't even speak. And then I can speak and I'm like one or two or whatever. Whatever age kids start to talk, you know, one, one, I don't know. And then, you know you have the little binky and you get my attention. I might say a little word. You get all excited that I say, you know, uh, uh, whatever words that kids say. And yeah, okay, that's that's fine. You know, it's kids. It's adult to child. But then let's fast forward. Say, for example, I'm 50 years old. 50 years old. And then you see, you have, you have to come to me. And you're still doing with the little binky, you know. And here I am like a little, you know, five-month-old, except I'm 50 years old. 30 years old, 20 years old, whatever age, but I'm an adult. I look like an adult, but you can't speak to me like an adult. You have to like shake the little binky, shake the little, the rattle to get my attention. I mean, you, you, I mean, I, the concept of that, it, it bothers me to even bring up that concept, but I'm trying to explain what's happening here. And when I say it bothers me to explain, to, to, to picture that in my mind, I, I just think it's disgusting. I think it's gross. I mean, you know, you might say, well, that's kind of harsh to say it that way, but is it not? You, you, you tell me. I mean, I'm saying it right now. I say, you tell me. Picture that, you know, a, a binky with a 50-year-old guy speaking baby, you know, goo goo gaga, speaking little baby language. I, that's kind of disgusting to me. I, I, I just think it's gross. That's carnally speaking in the flesh. But spiritually speaking, the exact same thing happens. And spiritually speaking, we see it in greater prevalence. And spiritually speaking, there are greater ramifications. Because we're talking about eternity now. I can't speak to you, Paul says, as to spiritual. I have to speak to you as to carnal. He says, which is the sarkikos, which is carnal, fleshly, unregenerate. The old nature is not dead. I have to speak to you as to sarkikos, as to the carnal, as to babes in Christ. Babies. Babies. Immaturity. How sad is that? And the deep well of beauty that Paul is. How sad is that? You say, oh, shame on Paul. Why is it? That's not very loving, Paul. Why aren't you, you know, you're, you're called to be a teacher. You're, you, you call yourself a, you're a so-called pastor, Paul. You're a, a, a leader in the church, Paul. How dare you withhold truth from the church? How dare you withhold these deep spiritual things? You know, that's the, the mindset of people today because we live in a snowflake generation. Which is softies. The snowflake generation. An immature generation. And you know what's also sad of this concept? I wonder what the prayers of the Christians were in Corinth. Here in chapter 1, chapter 2, I wonder what their prayers were like. I mean, they're babies in Christ. They're, they're immature. They're carnal. And I wonder what their prayers are like. I mean, when I... Like, when I was a Christian, 
I mean, I am a Christian, but when I was a baby Christian, like 25 years ago, the prayers that I make today don't even compare at all with the prayers that I made 25 years ago. There's no comparison. It's not to say God didn't hear. But there's maturity that happened. And the prayer, I could say, like the answer ratio, my prayers were were not, you know, I could say seemingly not answered 25 years ago. And today they are answered. You see that ratio of, you know, response and answer rate was much lower in my immaturity. But in my maturity and growth in Christ, the ratio of, you know, my prayer, the comparison of, you know, the type of prayers I made 25 years ago to the prayers I make today. And then the answer ratio between, you know, like zero times they were answered 25 years ago and 100% answered today. Night and day. How sad is that for the church in Corinth? Chapter 1, 2, 3. How sad is that? You know, I would ask for direction 25 years ago. Oh, Lord, help me. I need this. Lord, help me. I want to do this. Lord, help me. I need... And you know what? I, I didn't have the maturity to understand deeper things of the Lord. And the Lord showed me in the course of time. He showed me my errors. And praise be to the Lord. He taught me. He showed me my errors. And you know, I have, a, you know, I have a mindset where it's just like, you know, like I like learning these lessons. No matter how hard it is, I like learning these lessons. That's just me. Because it's not like, you know, I like the pain. It's not to say that, but you know what? It's like sometimes learning from your own mistakes, that's the best way to learn. And I firmly believe that. The next best way to learn is the learning by the mistakes of others, learning from the mistakes of others, which is why we have this great exhortation in the word of God through the mistakes of many. And we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, not to imply that the halls of faith in Hebrews 11 is full of, you know, a bunch of people who made mistakes. But to look at people who are, have those imperfections and yet they're in the halls of faith or in Hebrews 11. You know, there are more, I say Hebrews 11, but there are more in the entirety of the word of God. But. You, ha- you have to look at like, okay, you take a babe in Christ, brand new believer, fresh believer. And how beautiful it is. I'm not saying it's not a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. Entirely beautiful. But what comes along with that state of babyhood? What comes along with that? I mean, you look at a baby today. Oh, beautiful baby. You know, it's, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. But what comes along with that? You get the diapers, you get the binkies, you get the rattles, you get the, you know, whatever babies do. All that stuff. You get all of it. Spills, you know, uh, falls. You get you get all of that. But as a child grows, those other things start to taper off. No more binky. No more rattle. No more fall. I mean, the falls still happen, but less. You see? They're, they're able to do more. They're able to scramble eggs to those who have ears. 
growth. Growth happens. You see? Growth happens. Maturity happens. But what about the church? What about spirit? That's carnally speaking. That's in the flesh, according to the flesh. But according to the spirit, spiritually speaking, inside the church, it's not an indictment. It's not to say, like, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you, church. And, you know, I borderline say that, well, you know, maybe it is. I say it's not an indictment, but maybe there's a little hint of, you know, this isn't a good thing, guys. And I say this as a huge, huge, huge exhortation to grow, to desire growth, to desire maturity. A huge exhortation, if not the greatest exhortation I could possibly make to you. To mature and grow in Christ together. Let us be a people. We're in the same boat. But let us be a people who grows and matures in Christ together. And so look what happens here in verse 2. I fed you with milk. Notice the past tense here. Remember, there's like this three-year gap between uh, um, Acts 18, when the church in Corinth was founded, and when this first letter to the church in Corinth was written, there's about a three-year gap. And so he's hearkening back to three years ago, and he's telling the church, hey guys, I fed you with milk. Past tense, I fed you with milk. Remember, he also in chapter 2, verse 2, he determines not to know anything among them except for Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's it. No excellence of speech, no wisdom, you see, he, that he purposed and determined not to know anything, nothing, except Christ and him crucified. And he says in chapter 3, verse 2, I fed you with milk, past tense, past tense, three years ago. So he's writing this letter. Hey, church. Hey, beautiful church. And he's pouring his heart out. I don't, I don't just mean to say like, hey, church. I mean, like, he's pouring his heart out. Not to mention, look at the steps of his feet. The work of his hands in our study in chapter 18. Left for dead in chapter 14, the book of Acts. Left for dead. Not a hypocrite. Not carnal. And what do we see? He, we see him writing this letter. I fed you guys with milk three years ago, guys. I fed you guys with milk. And not with solid food. He did that on purpose. Remember, he, he determines not to know anything. Chapter 2, verse 2, uh, 1 Corinthians. I determines not to know anything except Christ and Him crucified. I did that on purpose. Not solid food, milk. Why? Because you guys are babies. Naturally, the birth of a church, baby, the milk, it's, uh, it's applicable. It's, it's good for a church to be on milk when it's birthed. When it's fresh, fresh out of the womb, so to speak, born again, milk is beautiful for that situation, for that state of growth. Milk is wonderful, joyous, and beautiful. But Paul says this in verse 2. He says, for until now you were not able to receive it. Wait a second. Does that mean the church has been on milk for three years? Yes. That's exactly what he's saying. I came to you guys with milk. And you know what? 
you you until now you were not able to receive it. So what what has the church been dieting on? That's what I want to know. What has the church in Corinth been dieting? Were they a fellowship? Did fellowship become a social club? What what's going on in the church in Corinth? What's going on, guys? I mean, if we can go back in time, pick up a phone call, and the phone call, you know, attaches back to 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. You know, you call, dial the number, ring, ring. Somebody says, hello. Yes, can I speak to the pastor in Corinth? Sure, you know. The pastor comes. Hey, pastor, what's going on? I, I hear this stuff going on in the church. Why are these? Why are there these divisions among you? Why are there all these things happening? Pastor, what's going on? Oh, hold on. You know, I can't hear you. Let me put you on hold. And then, you know, oh, come. Hey, guys, you know, turn the music down. We're having a party over here. Hey, has church become a social club? Pastor in Corinth? Elder in Corinth? I say that singularly speaking. But pastors, plurality. Pastors in Corinth. Elders in Corinth. Deacons in Corinth. Hey, leadership. What's going on? You see, church was a social club. Much like we see today when church has become a social club. You see, and you try to say something to the pastors, you're the bad guy. I'm at the, you know, I don't like people asking me things. You know, sometimes I don't mind it. I, I mean, I like it, but there's a there's the dichotomy there. I like it and I hate it. I like it because it's like, okay, you know, you have questions here. You know, I, I'm, I'll freely, I'll, I'm an open book. I'll, I'll give, you know, you ask me a question, I'll give you an answer. That's the love part. But the hate part is you're not going to like my answer. You're not going to like my answer. You see, it's, it's not, I, I, I can't, exp I mean, we see it here. We see it here. It's, it's not too... In these last days, this state of immaturity we see in the church, I mean, it's dangerous what we're looking at here 2,000 years ago for the church in Corinth. But in these last days, it's going to be very dangerous, even more so. Because it's the doorway to apostasy. Immaturity. Young. It's... The young that make foolish mistakes. You know, historically speaking, with youth comes foolish mistakes. Like today, I don't make the mistakes I made when I was 10 years old. I don't make the mistakes when I was 5 years old. I don't make the mistakes I made when I was 20 years old or 25 years old or 30 years old. I don't make those mistakes. Why? Because I learned my lesson. I have matured. That's carnally speaking. That's in the flesh. I have learned and I, I, I can carry a, a glass of milk and not spill it. Like I did when I was two, you know, I can do that now. I don't make those mistakes because I'm a I learned stability, you know. And that's not the boast in a state of maturity. We all have it, you know, carnally speaking, in the flesh, we all have it. I mean, as you age, you're going to get to a state of, you know, where weakness, where maybe you're going to start spilling things again. You're going to start forgetting things again. And I love that. You know, old people who need help, you got to wear diapers again. I love that. 
You can't, you know, you have to take out your teeth and put them in, you know, dip them in the glass and leave them in the glass overnight. I love that so much. You think I'm crazy in saying that. I understand. But I love it so much because God has implemented a means by which before a person enters eternity, that that person can be humbled. You see? You see the person who's, you know, the pride of life, an old guy. The pride of life, oh, I don't need this, I don't need help, I don't need this. And then all of a sudden, like five years later, their health deteriorates. They got to wear diapers. They got to have, you know, full-time care. You know, home nurse or nursing home, all these things. They need somebody to feed. They got all these things. It's like that pride of life that was there 10 years ago, that in the course of time, the Lord gives them humility. And humility is a beautiful state because it's like, wow, our hearts can be soft right before we enter eternity. Our hearts can be soft before the Lord to the point where we can admit, Lord, I need you in my life. I say we like mankind speaking. But to the point where a person with a hard heart, their heart becomes soft. Because, wow, you know, I got to wear diapers now. Wow, I need somebody to change me now. I can't even put on my shoes by myself. I can't even, you know... Cut my fingernails by myself. I can't even do this by myself. I can't even eat by myself. I can't even do I need help for this, this, this. And it's like, man, you know how humiliating that is? Carnally speaking, it brings us to the state of humility. So right before we enter eternity, a person with a hard heart can say, wow, I do need help. Can admit I need help and look up. Lord, help me and cry out to the Lord. You see? People think I'm crazy when I speak that way. I say, oh, I can't wait to get old. You know, I can't wait to be in this. You know, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, I might get my head chopped off in two weeks. Praise be to the Lord. I might give, you know, a car crash tomorrow. I don't know. Praise be to the Lord. To live is Christ, to die is gain. But should the Lord ever have me in like, a senior home? Oh, man, I would love to talk with those seniors, you know. I'll be a senior myself. They're like, oh, man, I've waited my whole life, you know. People are like, you like this? You, you like these fake teeth? You like being brittle? You like this, that? I love it, you know, because look at what he's done. Look at what the Lord has done to our hearts, guys. You know, God loves you. You know, all these old people coming to Christ. You see? I was with an old codger one time. He was like three days away from dying. And I was with an old guy. He was a former Navy SEAL. They called him Frogman back then. They didn't, they didn't have a title for Navy SEALs. But he was a frogman. And so I was with him. And he's like, two days later, he was going to die. And man, this guy, when he was in his youth, he was like He-Man. He was like Superman. Like the, like a whew, steel. You know, this guy was tough. But he gets old, and then all of a sudden, you know, I connect with him, and I meet with him. I'm in his little his little room there in a senior care facility. I'm in his room there, and it's just him and I. And, you know, we, we kind of hit it off. You know, we have certain connections. You know, we hit it off pretty well. I don't know if he would have spoken openly with another person, but he spoke openly with me. And this steel steel uh, guy you know he's just hard just a, just a hard fellow he was humbled and he accepted the lord and it was like wow and then i get noticed two days later he died wow praise be to the lord praise be to the lord you see 
a warrior in life, carnally speaking, frogmen. Those guys are hardcore, the old guys. You know, new guys now, you know, the... I mean, they're still tough guys, but they get all the fancy gear, you know, fancy boots, fancy equipment, all these things. But in the olden days, they didn't have anything. They had some gear, some equipment, but whew, these guys were tough. The older gen, the old, old core, so to speak. And, you know, he accepted the Lord. He became a Christian. And we talked, we prayed, and praise be to the Lord. I'm going to meet him. I'm going to see him one day. I'm going to see him one day. And it's going to be so beautiful. But that's the beauty behind, you know, being brittle as we get older. Carnally speaking, as we get older according to the flesh. You know, a lot of old people, they're like, oh, man, you know, what a bummer. But if you're a Christian, man, rejoice. Because look at the opportunity. The harvest is plentiful. Because people's are, hearts are being humbled by, you know, they're in that state where they need help. They might not have cried out for help 20 years ago. But now that they're old, it's like, wow, I need help. I can't eat by myself. I can't even pour my coffee. I can't even do this. I can't even do that. I, I got to wear diapers now. I can't even, you know, chew. I can't even do all these things. Praise be to the Lord. Why? Because their heart is being humbled right before eternity. You see? Opportunity is everywhere. You just got to see it. And so look what happens here in chapter 3, verse... Um, in verse 2, he says, For until now you were not able to receive it. He's speaking about solid food. I can't give you guys solid food is what he was saying to the church. Milk for three years. And he says, And even now, three years later, And even now, you are still not able. Whoa. That's sad. Then you start to see, Wow, it's pretty dangerous to be a babe in Christ. It's pretty dangerous to be a baby. I mean, I like to watch the nature shows, you know, and you see like, you know, a, a, a giraffe, you know, a mama giraffe, and she gives birth to like her baby giraffe. And the baby like falls out. It's kind of a long drop, you know, the baby comes out and boom, fall, and they learn to, you know, use their leg. They try to stand and they stand up pretty quickly because they have to stand up quickly or else they're going to get eaten. You see, the lions are going to come and eat them. The lions are going to come and devour them because they can't run. They don't have the strength. They don't have balance. Or like, you know, a gazelle gives birth to a little tiny baby gazelle. And within five minutes, that little baby gazelle, how beautiful it is. That little baby gazelle is, you know, getting its flesh ripped off by lions. Why? Because it's a piece of cake to get eat that the gazelle. The gazelle can't run. And the lions are ripping away at the flesh, dead. Brand new baby, brand new baby gazelle, you know, uh, three hours old, dead. You see, and I don't mean to say that like graphically, like, oh, you know, I don't mean to like be graphic in saying that. But now you start to see a picture of the danger of being a babe in Christ, the danger of not having strength in our legs, spiritually speaking, our spiritual legs. Not having strength in our legs, not having strength in our arms, not having strength in our back, not having wisdom in our minds. Not carrying the shield, not carrying the sword, not having a helmet or breastplate. You start to see, wow, that's pretty dangerous. Especially knowing that the enemy roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. It's pretty dangerous. 
So he tells the church for three years, you know, I came to you with milk, not with solid food. And until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able for you are still carnal, he says. Whoa. The old nature, guys, he's telling them. The old nature is still alive. Not the newness of Christ. The oldness of you. He's telling to the church in Corinth, I wonder what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you right now. You see? Where is the newness of Christ? All I see is the oldness of you. Where is the newness of Christ? I wonder what the Holy Spirit is saying right now in your heart. You see? He says in, in, in verse 3, For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? That's hardcore. Envy, strife, divisions, are you not carnal? Now, you know how easy it is to be carnal? It's a piece of cake to be carnal. If somebody punches you in the face, like for me, I'll tell you what happens when I get hit. I don't like it. <laughs> because what it does inside of me. A punch in the face, or anywhere in the body, but mostly the face. A punch in the face for me is like an on button. And I hate it. I used to love it. But today, I hate it. A punch in the face is like an on button. I mean, if it's really hard, it knock me out. But a punch in the face is like an on button, and I hate it because that on button goes right to a Pandora's box of all kinds of rage and anger. And then all of a sudden, it's like a punch in the face. It's like an immediate outpouring of adrenaline. And it's like, okay, it's on. And I used to love it, but today I hate it. And, you know, so how easy is it? To get a punch in the face and respond with fists or respond with a pipe or respond with a bat or respond with a pistol or respond with a knife. Do you know how easy that is? I mean, I don't mean to be graphic and violent in saying that, but that's a piece of cake. You see babies do it. That's the behavior of babies. I mean, you look at three-year-olds playing together, five-year-olds in a playpen or whatever you do with kids, you know, the, 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 the playground area, you see a bunch of kids, you know, and say somebody has a, a ball, a little kid has a ball, and then another kid takes the ball, runs up to that kid, grabs the ball, and then you see the other kid, you know, start to hit the other kid, and then you see another kid jump in, and they are, everybody's going to blows, little kids fighting, it's, it's easy, that's the state of immaturity. They don't, they, they, they don't have that concept of self-control. Why? Because they're three-year-old kids. They're four-year-olds. They're five-year-olds. They don't have this concept of self-control to understand that, wait a second, this is not pleasing to the Lord. So you know what? Because I'm crucified, you know, I, I'm not going to dishonor the Lord. I'm not going to bring dishonor to the Lord by behaving that way. They don't have that cognitive ability. And I say cognitive ability, but understand that this is all in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
As Christians, you get punched in the face. What does the Lord say? Turn the other cheek. It's impossible without the Holy Spirit. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We are a people that need the baptism of the Holy Spirit because that's the only way the other cheek can be turned. It's the only way. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is right here. Look, envy, it's on full display. Strife, full display. Divisions, full display. He says, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You see? The more spiritual you are, and I, mean, I say spiritual, I'm not talking about, you know, Reiki. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, uh, yoga. You know, I'm talking about spirituality in accordance with the word of God. You know, not the satanic stuff. Demonology stuff. Like, you know, yoga and uh, uh, Reiki. That's demonology. You say, wait a second, you know, yoga is evil? Yoga is evil? Well, you know, if, if you're into yoga or whatever it is, you know, the stretching, you're into all that yoga stuff, and you know about the sun salutation, okay? You know about the sun salutation. All you have to do is read Ezekiel chapter 8, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The things that the Lord considers an abomination. Worship of the sun. Worship of creation. And you're going to do, you, you know, you're going to roll out your mat, get on it and think, oh, cool. Look how healthy I am. Look, this just centers me. I like to get centered in this. And so I'm going to go and do the sun salutation. I'm going to worship the sun. Read Ezekiel 8. You see? I bring it up, but let me read it. Sometimes I say read this, but well, today I think I'm going to, as the spirit leads. Let's see, Ezekiel 8. He says in Ezekiel 8, um, I, I see that, but you know, now I'm having a hard time finding it. Um, hmm. I know it's here, but it's escaping me right now. Uh, I'm just going through Ezekiel 8 right now. I bring it up. Oh, here we go. In Ezekiel 8, verse 15. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again. You will see greater abominations than, th in, than these. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and there at the door of the temple of the Lord between the porch and the altar were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord. Notice, their backs are toward the temple of the Lord. And their faces toward the east, and they were worshiping the sun toward the east. Whoa. 
So when I say these things, you know, oh, sun salutation, don't do that. It's not to say, oh, you're into yoga. Oh, you're so evil. You're so wicked. It's not to say that. It's to say, understand what you're doing. And understand what you're doing in light of the Lord's opinion on the matter. And not just opinion, but what the Lord says about the matter. Verse 17, you say, oh, that's no big deal. Is it? And, and look at verse 17. And he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing? Is it a trivial thing? Oh, you're so mean spirit. How I'm just stretching. I do my son's salutation and I feel good about it. Is it, is it really a trivial thing? That's what he said to Ezekiel. You see? Oh, you, you read the, 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 the writings of the, of the yogis. And what is it? It's the kundalini spirit that they want to awaken. It's demonic. I don't want to get off topic, but, you know, I did mention, I, sometimes, you know, I mention things, I say, read this, but, you know, I mentioned this, and so I wanted to look at it. You know, and so let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You know, we're in a, like a, this remote setting. So sometimes, you know, when we're in our church setting, you know, I would say, oh, yeah, let's look. Like if, if we were in our church setting, you know, I'd say, oh, yeah, let's look at Ezekiel 3. And I turn to Ezekiel 3 and then I'd hear somebody in the audience. Oh, yeah, it's this verse. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Guys got my back. Ladies got my back. You see, so praise be to the Lord. It's iron sharpening iron. But, you know, now it's like I got had to look for it. So that was that delay. But so look what happens here. Paul is saying to the church in verse 3, you're behaving like mere men. But the more spiritual you are, the more carnality will become difficult. Why? Because your heart is going to be aligned with the Holy Spirit and yielding to Him and yielding to the Word of God. And as the Holy Spirit grieves, you know what's going to happen? You're going to grieve. You see? Because you don't want to hurt the Holy Spirit. You want to please the Lord. You don't want to hurt the heart of God. You want to please Him. That's right. Because love evokes a response. Remember, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Love evokes a response. I mean, what guy says to a lady, will you marry me? She says, yes. They get married, honeymoon, and then all of a sudden, he beats her. I mean, you see it happen. But that's the uh, carnal example. You know, in the flesh, you see it happen. Where, where do you see that? You see that in the world. I like to see like, you know, uh, you know, do you believe? I like to see that as a question. Will you marry me? The Lord asking it of you right here. Right? If you're not a believer right here, right now. You say, I'm not going to believe. I'm going to. Okay, let's let's rephrase it. Let's rephrase the question. Will you marry me? You see? Will you marry me? You have a response. The Lord speaking to your heart. Will you marry me? The same way he spoke to my heart 20 some years ago. It's not just like a religion, you know. It's not just like, okay, yeah, I'm going to uh, live like this for the sake of living like this. No, it's living sacrificially for the Lord. And the Lord says, will you marry me? 
See, that's I like to rephrase, do you believe? Because it's deeper. It's a, oh, yeah, I believe. But I also believe in, you know, the Kundalini spirit. I also believe in Reiki. I also believe in this. You know, the, the last days, it's, it's not a playground. It's called perilous times for a reason. Perilous times, it's called that for a reason. Danger at every corner. Danger. And have you ever been on patrol? I mean, I don't know if you have, but you know, if you ever go on patrol, in a weapons hot environment, in a hot zone, where, you know, each step you might die, you might turn a corner and get shot, and not just you, but, you know, your friend, you might step on something, blow up, everybody just gone. Do you know how alert, not just you, but everybody has to be? Everybody alert, a state of alert. Weapons hot environment. That's the last days. That's perilous times. And so Paul is exposing, like, look, you guys are carnal. He says that envy, strife, divisions among you. It's Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You see, where's the change? Where's the spirit of the Lord? Where is, you know, the, the you know, where's the change? I mean, you hear me read from Galatians 2 where Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. But, you know, that's Paul. What about us as the bride of Christ? As, and that's very forward looking. You've heard me say that before. It's very forward looking. But what about the change? When the Lord says, go and sin no more. And so look what happens here in verse 4. For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Now, divisions such as this, I have to say something, you know, because this is something that Satan uses in these last days. Because false teachers will say this. Oh, we shouldn't, you know, false teachers, like the, the, the people who teach false doctrine, the people who call glitter the Holy Spirit, the people who do the holy laughter, the people who go lay on graves, they do the grave soaking. Oh, there shouldn't be divisions. You know what the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, for when, when one says, I'm of Paul and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? See, division isn't a good thing. That's what the false teachers say. And that's what the adherents to false teachers say. That's those who are on their way to apostasy and if not in apostasy, that's what they say. Oh, there shouldn't be divisions. Can't we just love? But let me tell you something. Paul, not a false teacher. Cephas, not a false teacher. Apollos, not a false teacher. You see? No hypocrisy. These aren't carnal vessels. No hypocrisy. They're not hirelings. They are shepherds. Biblical shepherds. You see? You have to make this distinction. Because look at the life of Paul. Look at the life of Apollos. We read about it. Remember how he was encouraged, exhorted, and even taught by Priscilla and Aquila? 
Peter. Look at the life of Peter. That's Cephas. You know Cephas? That's Peter. Look at the life of Peter. I mean, we're going to get to his letters. Look at Peter. So when a false teacher, if a false teacher, someone says, oh, guys, let's go grave soaking tonight. Oh, wait a second. You call yourself a pastor, but grave soaking isn't good. Oh, let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you something, sister. Division isn't good because when one says I am of Paul and I am of Apollos, it's carnal. That's not a good thing. You know what? You can tell that person, you're no Paul, pastor. You're no Cephas. You're no Apollos for sure. Because Paul wouldn't teach that. Cephas wouldn't teach that. Apollos wouldn't teach that. Paul wouldn't take Christians to go grave soaking. Neither would Cephas. Why? Because their heart is aligned with the master. Where is your heart? So you have to be very, very careful because false teachers, the apostates, they will tell you, oh, you're causing division. That's not good. You're causing division. No, you are divided. You're a weed. You see? Weeds are the ones who say, oh, you're causing division. You're causing division. You're causing division. Be very careful. You have to make this distinction in these last days. I mean, a hundred years ago too, but in these last days, even more so, you have to make this distinction. Who is telling me this? Somebody says, oh, you're causing division. You're causing division. Who is telling you this? Is it the grave soaker? Is it the holy laughter people? Is it the people who blaspheme the Lord by calling glitter the Holy Spirit? Those are weeds. And they're the ones who are saying you're causing division, not understanding that they themselves would be burned in the fire if they don't repent. But we're living in a day and age where you see judgment drawing closer and closer and closer. God's judgment, it's coming. It's coming up, up, upon the globe. But don't forget that judgment begins first. Precursory to the globe, precursory to the events that we read about, the events of the last days, precursory to that is judgment in the house of God. The Lord is cleaning house. I've talked to people who are so discouraged because they've, have, they've left their fellowships. They've left their churches. They've had to. They've had to because they can't be a part. In their heart of hearts, they cannot be aligned with the, the teachings that are going on in these apostate buildings, apostate mindsets, apostate pastors. They cannot. And I fully understand that. I'm in the same camp. But we were told these things would happen. We were told they would happen. We're living in a day and age where we're seeing the fulfillment of prophecy. To those who have eyes, we're seeing it in real time as the Lord is making himself known. Look at the apostates. Look at the behavior of the apostates and not just the leadership. Look at the behavior of those who align with the leaders of apostasy. It's when you're the remnant, when you're in the remnant, it's perilous. It's sorrowful. 
It's devastating. It's sad. It's to say it's sad doesn't do it justice because it, it breaks your heart. Not that you're in the remnant, but for those who are outside the remnant. We have to be wise in these last days. Because no flesh will be saved unless those days were shortened. That is prophetic. It will happen. It will come to pass. Paul is exposing the carnality of this young church. You're behaving like mere men. In verse 5. He says, then who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. But ministers is diakonos, servants, teachers, deacons, ministers through whom you believed, you see, as the Lord gave to each one. So people say, you see, God makes you believe, you know, through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Oh, God makes you believe. God makes you believe. That's what the Calvinists say. That's what the Reformed theory people say. God makes you believe. No, he looks at the heart. Remember, salvation is a free gift. And the Lord looks at the heart of man, the heart of woman, young, old. It doesn't matter. The Lord looks at the heart. It's kind of simple. It's mankind that overcomplicates things. It's kind of simple. And when you read the Bible, it's not written, you know, for the academics. It's easy. And so look what happens here. In verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God gave the growth is how it translates. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. You see, be cautious of pastors who seek relevance. Be very cautious of these people. Oh, yeah, look, I'm Mr. Big Shot. Look, I have, you know, a thousand people in my fellowship. I'm Mr. Big Shot. I have 10,000 people in my fellowship. You know, they go on social media. Oh, can you just like me? Can you just, you know, share this or share that or, you know, put your, your like here or subscribe to this? And they say, look how awesome I am. I have all these followers on social media striving after relevance. Paul says of himself, we're nothing. Paul, we're nothing. I mean, if you're a pastor, elder in leadership, ministry leader, worship leader, Bible teacher, youth leader, you know, if that's you, you know, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you're nothing. Me, nothing. Nothing. You see, it's verse 5 says, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? We're ministers through whom you believe. Does that say like, oh, look, we're Mr. Big Shot? Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered. But it's God who gave the increase. Verse 7, we're nothing. The one who plants, nothing. The one who waters, nothing. If that's you, are you a planter? Are you a water? Waterer? Water, I have a hard time saying that. Waterer. Is that you? You're nothing. 
You know, people go on social media, oh, you like me, follow me, subscribe to this, subscribe to that. You know, yeah, look how awesome I am. And they can tell people, oh, yeah, I'm an influencer. I heard a person say that. Oh, I'm an influencer. You don't know who you're talking to. You know, I'm a big shot on social media. I'm an influencer. I could care less. I don't care how many followers you have. I don't care. When the word of God, when the Lord becomes your influence... When the word of God and the power of his Holy Spirit, when he influences you, you see it. The fruit of the spirit. And then he takes a person and says, okay, I'm going to use you as my vessel. I'm going to use you to plant. I'm going to use you to water, but it's me who gives the increase. That's what his word says. Paul says we're nothing. It's not to deify Paul. It's not to deify Cephas. It's not to deify Apollos. But look at Christ inside of them. These are just servants, planters, waters. It's God who gives the increase. You see? In verse 8, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward, his own mistos, uh, uh, wages is how it translates. Each one will receive his own wages according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. Very interesting here. You know, when you read verse, look at the entirety of verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. You see, there's two camps here. Two camps. Paul speaks of himself and those in leadership. He says, I shouldn't say leadership, but those who are vessels, a planter or a waterer. Paul says, we are God's fellow workers. Translates as co-workers. Translates as helper. Translates as assistant. And Paul says, hey, that's us. Apollos, Cephas, me, that's, you know, by the way, we're nothing, guys. He's, remember, in verse 7, we're nothing. But we're God's fellow workers. And then also in verse 9, he says, but you are God's field. You are God's building. So there's two camps in verse 9. There's God's helpers, God's co-workers, God's assistants, but then the other camp is God's field. And God's field here, field here translates as a, its farm. But specifically, it's able to be cultivated. You know what that says? People with soft hearts. So say we're in the church in Corinth. We're sitting in the pews. We're sitting in a home fellowship in the church in Corinth. We're God's field. We are God's uh, uh, cultivation, which it's able to be cultivated is how that word translates. That's us. We get a letter from Paul. Hey, guys, Paul wrote this letter. Oh, cool. Read it. This letter is coming from a co-worker of the Lord. It's coming from a helper of the Lord, an assistant of the Lord. It's to understand those two camps. One side is a co-worker and the other side is the field. And then he says, you are God's field. You are God's building. So is verse 9, does this apply to everyone? You have to make a distinction. You have to make a distinction. What camp are you in? Are you a co-worker of God or are you the field of God? You have to make the distinction. You say, oh, I'm a co-worker of God. I'm God's helper. Okay, remember the Lord, brother James says, let not many of you be teachers because we're held to a stricter account. Let not many be teachers. 
You know, I don't only see that as an exhortation, but I see that as a warning. When James says, let, let not many be teachers. Because teachers are held to a very strict account. Unto the Lord. They might not be held to account in this world. I mean, you look at what's going on in the churches, what's being taught from the pulpits. It's Teachers aren't held to a high account, a, 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 a strict account on earth. But in eternity, standing before the Lord, teachers, myself included, most certainly will be held to a higher standard. And, and to the Lord, unto the Lord, a higher account unto the Lord. You see, why did you teach this? Why did you teach grave soaking when it's an abomination? Why did you call the Holy Spirit glitter? Why did you call the glitter that was the Holy Spirit? Why did you say that? Why did you, you see a higher account, higher accountability for teachers? Brother James, let not many be teachers. So you have to make this distinction. You know, it, 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 is verse 9 for everybody? No, you have to make the distinction. People say, oh, I'm a co-worker. No, okay. If you call yourself a co-worker of the Lord, if you call yourself an assistant of the Lord, if you call yourself a helper of the Lord, what I should not see, what not just me, but what, what should not be exemplified is carnality, hypocrisy, and false doctrine. You see? That's. That's. We're servants of the master. Servants of the master must align to the master. Say, oh, I'm a co-worker of the Lord. Okay, then, you know, I shouldn't see carnality. I shouldn't see hypocrisy. I shouldn't see false doctrine. Oh, but I'm a co-worker of the Lord. I, I know I am. Okay, then. You want to go grave soaking? No, you're not a co-worker of the Lord. You're not the Lord's assistant. You're not a, 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 a helper of the Lord. If that's you, you have this crazy doctrine. You're either got in God's field, but because of this doctrine, maybe you're a wolf. If you call yourself God's co-worker, but you teach this false doctrine, maybe you're a wolf. You see? This is where discernment comes into play. Spiritual discernment. This is where knowledge of the Word of God comes into play. You have to be a, a Berean. We talked about that last week. You have to be a Berean. These are things that the Lord exposes on full display. People say, oh yeah, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a, I'm a co-worker of the Lord. Look, I'm a pastor. Hmm. Okay, let's look at this. You call yourself a pastor? Yep, I'm a pastor. Okay, okay. What's up with this myth? What's up with this sexual stuff? What's up with this alcohol stuff? What's up with this false doctrine? Maybe, maybe you're a wolf. Maybe you're a wolf. Interesting. So now that this has been exposed, now that the fruits have been exposed, do you still call yourself a co-worker of the Lord? You tell me. When all these things have exposed, have been exposed, do you still call yourself a co-worker of the Lord? 
Okay, maybe I'm in the field. Okay, praise be to the Lord. Now, now that we've acknowledged the fact that you're in the field, now let's make sure that you're in the field. You need to repent. No more crack, no more meth, no more sexual. I mean, if you're married, that's fine. But, you know, no more, you know, wife number two, three, four, girlfriend number two, three, four, you know, stripper number two, three, four. None of that. Repent. Repent. No more tax cheating, no more this, no more that. Repent. That's why you see in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, repent, 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 repent. Repent. For the kingdom of God is near. For the kingdom of God is near. You see, I don't mean to sound offensive. But verse 9 reveals two camps. God's fellow workers and God's field. And you have to understand where you are. And people can move from, you know, from both camps. You see, you can be in God's field. And then God says, you know what? I want you to be a pastor. God can say, you know what? I want you to be an elder. You know what? I want you to teach the Bible. I want you to be a youth leader. And then you're moved into God's fellow worker. You see, we see that with Timothy. And people can move from God's fellow worker to the field. Why? People have to step down. Because of hypocrisy, carnality, and false doctrine, they have to step down and move back to the field. Or, that's one avenue. Maybe they call themselves God's fellow worker. They look like God's fellow worker. They speak like God's fellow worker. But really... The fruit and what the Spirit reveals and what their doctrine reveals, what their behavior reveals. Wait a second. This is a wolf. You say, what does that look like? What does a wolf look like? Okay. Somebody who says, okay, yeah, let's come to church. Let's have church. Let's do all these things. And starts having sex with all the women. That's a wolf. You see? Youth leaders who prey on teenage girls or little children, little boys, little girls. Sexually, that's a wolf and the wolf must be killed. And I say, you know, metaphysically speaking, I say the wolf must be killed. And then you know, whoa, wait, wait, you know are you talking about murder? No, you know, the Lord will take care of them. The Lord will avenge. The Lord will take care of them. You know, our my old pastor in California always used to say, you know, the Lord is cleaner than the mafia. You know, you know, the mafia takes a hit. It's like, who did it? It's like, uh, you know, I didn't see anything. You know, the mafia, they, 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 do, they do clean hits. And our pastor used to always say, you know, the Lord is cleaner than the mafia. You know, it's like, boom, he could just make a heart stop right there. Nice and clean. And I don't mean to sound violent in saying that or over glorified death. But the Lord will take care of wolves. And you see wolves today, elders who prey on females and even males. They prey on boys. You know, I've talked to these males before who have been sexually exploited as a child. They're adults, but they've been sexually exploited as a child. And you see these adults. If you don't talk about the subject, they look like, you know, normal guy. But then they open up and they start to explain what happened to them when they were in youth group. Youth group in a church. What the so-called leader did to them sexually when they were a child, a little boy. And they haven't gotten over it. You see, 
such a sexual pervert, such a wolf, had his little moment of whatever you want to call that, perversion. Sexual satisfaction, perversion. Little moment. But what it has done inside of this little boy who became a teenager, who's now an adult, and what it's done inside of that man. You see, innocence destroyed in the church. You think God doesn't see that? Judgment comes first in the house of God. So that's what I'm talking about, wolves. So like, oh, I'm God's fellow worker. Okay, okay. Then let's, let's, let's analyze here. God's fellow worker. So if you're God's fellow worker, why do you teach grave soaking? And if you're God's fellow worker, why are you having sex with these females? And if you're God's fellow worker, why are you molesting these children? You see, that's the mark of a wolf. You see, that's why you hearken to our study in Acts 20. Shepherds can become wolves. Oh, you're, 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 you're too mean. You're so mean-spirited. I've heard it. You're so mean-spirited. How dare you talk like that? We're entering the events of the last days. And not just entering. We're in. It's here. Read the news. You see it happening. You see the events of the last days happening. I meant cryptocurrencies. You see everything gearing up to these alternates. You know, it's a big setup. It's a big setup for the Antichrist. You know, all this hullabaloo over, you know, certain cryptocurrencies. Oh, look, I'm making all this money. Look, 10,000, 40,000, 150,000. Look, I'm making all this money. That's going to be a trap. You're going to be trapped. You're going to be trapped. Oh, Wall Street does it. That's fine. I see that. Wall Street does it too. Does that make it okay? Oh, you're so mean-spirited. It's a trap. It's a setup. You know how hard it's going to be? Oh, yeah, I got $200,000. Look, I made it. Look, it's so awesome. Look, $200,000. You know how hard it's going to be for you to leave that $200,000? You see? It's a trap. You say, oh, you're so mean-spirited. You talk about wolves. You talk about this. It's all doom and gloom. Let me tell you something. Let's turn to Ezekiel again. And Ezekiel... Thirty-three. Ezekiel thirty-three, verse six. Thirty-three, six. Ezekiel. But if the watchman sees the sword coming, and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them. He is taken away in his iniquity. So the people aren't warned. You know, the sword comes, takes any person, and that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood, the person taken away in iniquity, his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. You see, pastors need to wake up. Elders need to wake up. Why? Because danger is here. Perilous times are here, and the people need to be warned. Oh, but call me crazy. Call me crazy. Go ahead. It's okay. You see? 
perilous times. There's this distinction that has to be made. Well, God's field or, you know, God's co-worker. It's not Paul getting on a high horse and saying, look, you know, I, I'm God's fellow co-worker. Look how awesome I am. We're going to talk about that next week. You know, Lord willing, but Paul is the first to get off the high horse. He says in verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to, this is going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. Very interesting. You know, if Paul were to say this in the church today, hey guys, I'm a wise master builder. He would be thrown out in a heartbeat. In today's church, he would be thrown out in a heartbeat. Oh, look, this guy thinks he's so high and mighty here. Let's throw him out. Let's kick him to the curb. No way. We're supposed to be meek. We're supposed to be like this. We're supposed to be loving. We have equality. And you think you're something special? You're crazy. Get out of here. And Paul, he's going to speak about servants. He's going to speak about co-workers and helpers and assistants of the Lord. God's fellow workers. He's going to say more about that next week. We're going to touch on that. Lord willing. But here we are in chapter 3. Remember, Paul is speaking to babies. I can't give you solid food, guys, is what he's saying to the church. I can't give you solid food. I have to give you milk. And three years later, I still have to give you milk. You're still not able to receive it. And he says in verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. This is translates as a wise foreman or a wise construction superintendent. Remember, God is the architect. You know, that's in verse 9 when he says, you are God's field, you are God's building. It translates as God's architecture. So you have here in verse 10, Paul is acknowledging his ministry as a wise master builder, a wise foreman, a wise construction superintendent. But God is the architect. Does that ring a bell? Do you remember the blueprints? That the Lord gave to Moses. And not just Moses. Do you remember who was outside the cloud? Joshua. The assistant of Moses. Not defiled by the camp of Israel. Not defiled by the multitude. In the Old Testament. In that the Lord giving the blueprints to Moses. You have an Old Testament example. I mean, you have God the Father, but you have an Old Testament example of Moses as a type of Christ and Joshua as a type of church. Joshua, not as a type of church, but Joshua as a type of pastor. Joshua as a type of elder. Joshua as a type of uh, Bible teacher, youth leader. Not defiled with the, with the multitudes but closely in tune with the heart of God. Moses receiving the blueprints and Joshua, you know, being an assistant of Moses. An Old Testament example of these very words we read right here as new covenant believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. God's building, God's, God's architecture. And Paul says, acknowledges himself. In accordance to the grace of God, he acknowledges himself as a wise foreman. You see? 
He's not deifying himself. He's not lifting himself up. He's speaking to babes in Christ, milk drinkers, and saying, look, according to the grace of God, this I'm teaching you. I'm pouring out into you. And remember, this isn't just, you know, Joe Schmo writing a letter to the church. This is Paul who walked the walk, who talked the talk. He wasn't just the talker only. He was the doer. He talked, he walked, he did. Beaten, left for dead, Acts 14. Remember the home invasion? You get Acts 17, Acts 18, 19. There was a great commotion about the way. No hypocrisy. He says in verse 10, I have laid the foundation. I have laid the foundation. Remember, he's a wise master builder. Is Paul boasting? Not at all. He's stating the obvious for spiritual people. You see? He, he, there, he's one of several others. He's not, he's not just saying, oh, I am awesome. I am Paul. I am the master builder. Remember, he says, I planted Apollos water. Because there were divisions. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Paul says, we're nothing. It's God who gives the increase. He says that, he says, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. So let each one regard and beware how he builds on it. Now, this is coworkers. This is for coworkers. Remember, I made, make the distinction between coworker and the field. This is for coworker or coworker of the Lord, not the field. So pastors, elders, Bible teachers, youth leaders ministry leaders for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is jesus christ this is a warning it's not jesus christ plus you know fill in the blank it's not jesus christ replaced by you know you want to say uh, yoga the kundalini spirit jesus christ replaced by uh, Buddha, Jesus Christ replaced by Mary, Jesus Christ replaced by whoever. No, don't ever do that. If you do that, you're exposing yourself as a wolf. That can never be done. If you're a teacher, if you're, you know, you get to make that distinction. Okay, there's the field and there's God's coworker. I'm talking about those in the camp of God's coworker. Those in the camp of the, you know, kind of like how we're the, there was the camp distinction in the book of Numbers. Remember where the multitudes were? The 12 tribes, but then there were separate camps or a unique camp of the Kohanim, a camp of the Levitical priesthood. An Old Testament example of the two camps. The field and the co-workers. Old Testament example. In the book of Numbers than what, what we're looking at right here. If, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, listen to our studies in Numbers 1, 2, 3, and 4. And it, while you're at it, get yourself caught up to where we're at in Numbers. You have to make this distinction. This is part and parcel of not just the walk of a Christian, but applying wisdom in our lives. Applying the wisdom of the Word of God. So that we can navigate. I mean, if you ever, you know, you hear me give that example. If you ever go on patrol in a hot zone, weapons hot, and you're in a hot zone. 
I mean, you can be in a leadership leadership position, fire team leader, squad leader. You can be in a leadership position and you have a mission, you have a task, you have something to do, something to accomplish. And you might be in a leadership position, but your life is dependent on others and others' lives are dependent upon you. It's a team. I mean, it's not called a team. It's not called a squad. It's not called a fire team for nothing. It's for a reason. You see? And that's the church in the last days. We have to be a people that understands these and applies God's wisdom in our lives for the glory of the Lord. Not so that any man can boast, but so that our boast can be in Jesus Christ and he receive all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. Why? Because he's the son of the most high and he is worthy. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So look at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, so whosoever is how this translates, but it's in the capacity of the co-worker. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, will become clear, made manifest. Might not be today, but it will be made manifest one day. For the day will declare it. What is this day? The day of the Lord. The day will declare it because it will be revealed. Apocalypto. It will be revealed by fire. You see? By fire. And the fire will test each one's work. You see this testing? We just talked about that on Wednesday. This faith being tested. Numbers 13. And it's not just faith being tested. But here, works will be tested too. Works will be tested. Each one's work, what sort it is, of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on, if anyone's work which he has built on, remember, the foundation is Jesus Christ. Remember, the foundation is Jesus. Verse 11, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus, which is Jesus Christ. So he's the foundation. Not you, not Buddha. Not Muhammad, not Mary, not uh, Kundalini, not Reiki, not whatever. Jesus Christ. And if anyone's work, in verse 14, anyone's work which he has built on it, if it endures. Remember, it's tested by fire. Tested by fire. And whatever endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work, in verse 15, if anyone's work, remember, the foundation is Jesus, and if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, I have a message for pastors, elders, Bible teachers, deacons, church leadership, youth leaders. I have a message. This is not a license to teach anything. Oh, yeah, my works are burned, but you know what? I myself will be saved. As through fire. This isn't licensure to teach false doctrine. This isn't a license to teach grave soaking. This isn't, you know, a free ticket, get out of jail free, where it's like you can you can get away with all kinds of abominations. It's not a free ticket for that. But why do I say that? Because in verse 17, if anyone, if anyone defiles or corrupts the temple of God, 
God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. You see? The temple of God is holy. Your temple is holy. The temple of those you teach is holy. Now, that's to say if you're God's co-worker. I mean, you, you know, if you're a pastor and you want to say, oh, yeah, I'm God's co-worker. Okay. We, if we establish that you're God's co-worker, we've established that you're not in the field. We've established that you're not a wolf. If you're God's fellow co-worker, praise be to the Lord. But I say this as encouragement and also a warning. Your temple is holy. Those that you pour into, it is holy. They are also holy. You see? People say, oh yeah, verse 15, those are, the works will be burned, but I myself will be saved. So they see that as license to you know, teach grave soaking, license to teach the, the Holy Spirit is glitter, license to teach holy laughter, all kinds of abominations, all kinds of false doctrine. But no. If you want to defile your temple and you want to molest the temple of children, you want to molest the, the temple of females, you want to be a youth leader. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm a God's co-worker, you know, and you want to molest or rape or, you know, do sexual things with the youth group. Woe is you. W-O-E. Woe is you. God will destroy you. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the messenger. You, you, you're the one. You've told me, you know. We've established you're not in the field. We've established that you're, you know, you're in, 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 in a God's co-worker. That's why Brother James says, let not many be teachers. So many people want to be teachers. I don't get it. I mean, I read the Bible. It's terrifying. It's scary. It's because you know. And what blows me away is that these pastors, these teachers, they get away with murder. And, you know, that's one thing. You know, I shouldn't say it blows me away because the Bible says it's going to happen. Apostasy. So it blows me away in, 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 in the idea of what happens in a fellowship. Because pastors shouldn't be getting away with the things that they're getting away with. Elders shouldn't be getting away with these things. And that is another danger of baby Christians. That is another danger behind a church of milk drinkers. Because the pastors can get away with murder. The elders can get away with murder. That's another danger. You see? And don't forget that those in leadership, those pastors, elders, Bible teachers, youth leaders, they can transfer from uh, God's co-worker to God's field, and they can also transfer from God's co-worker to wolf. Wolf. Fleecing the flock, not sparing the flock of God. The Bible teaches us these things. I mean... Have you ever said something about, say, tricking believers nightly? You watch tricking believers nightly. You see something. And it's like, okay, that's not biblically sound. And then you're with another Christian. And you say, oh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, this person's a false teacher. Uh, they teach grave soaking. This female, false teacher. And then they get mad at you. 
How dare you say that? Don't say that against the Lord's anointed. What? The Lord's anointed? The, the Lord anointed her? The Lord anointed him? That person is anathema to the truth of God's word. Doesn't even teach God's holy word. What's being exposed in such an individual who gets mad at you is their own youth. It's not to say, how dare you, you're such a baby. It's to understand, wow, this person's on milk. And now you cannot speak to this person about deep spiritual things. You have to speak to them like the little binky, the goo goo gaga. You got to speak to them like they're on their little binkies. You cannot give them deep spiritual things because they're like this church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. They don't understand. And in the last days, the church will be comprised of milk drinkers who like the milk. They enjoy the milk. They do not want the meat. That's the last days. The Bible tells us all of these things. The Bible tells us. But there aren't Bereans in the last days. There are. But you know what they're called? The remnant. See? Oh, that's so mean, spirit. I hate you. That's fine. Even that's prophetic. That's so mean, spirit. You're crazy. That's fine. That's prophetic. You're so mean, spirit. You've lost your mind. That's fine. That's fine. Come, we're going to this other church. This pastor's going to tickle my ears. That, that's prophetic. You're fulfilling Bible prophecy. Not in a good way, but prophecy being fulfilled nonetheless. It's not to say I'm happy about it, but you know I can rejoice in one regard because prophecy is being fulfilled. God's promises are being made manifest. But, you know, you can, how's the saying go? You know, teach a horse to, or teach a horse to drink, but you can't make him drink. I don't know how that saying goes. You teach a horse how to, or you give the horse the water, but you can't make him drink. Or teach a man to fish, but you can't make him fish. I don't know how that, you know what I'm saying. I don't get how that saying goes. You see? So a lot of false teachers they feel that they have licensure to, to teach false doctrine. They feel that they have licensure to commit all kinds of abomination, and a lot of it sexual and drug-related. Because look, verse 15, he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire, so I'm good to go. Once saved, always saved. Man, I'm good to go. No big deal. What? Have you not read? If anyone defiles or corrupts in verse 17 the temple of God, God will destroy him. The temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? You have to understand holiness. We live in a generation today that does not know holiness. We live in a church culture today that does not know holiness. What is holiness? Read your Bible. The Lord will teach you what holiness is. This is holiness. This is holy. The word of God. And he makes people holy. But who has ears? Who has eyes? Because if the blind follow the blind, then both will fall into a ditch. That's what the word of God says. There is no licensure for, you know, okay, I'm going to go ahead and start teaching these false doctrines. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and molest these females. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and molest these children. 
There is no licensure for that. The Bible says God will destroy you. Oh, pastor. Oh, elder. If you want to call yourself that. I mean, you know. I've had these conversations with pastors before. People who get on a high horse. Oh, I'm a pastor. You know, how many people do you have in your church? Oh, that's nothing. Look, I have hundreds. I have thousands. Look, I'm so awesome. Okay. You say, okay, we've established that. You know, you call yourself God's coworker. Let's do some analyzing here. You know, what's up with this? What's up with this? What's up with that? What's up with this? Your very nature is exposing the lie that you propagate. No. What does the Bible say? It's not to get on any high horse. It's to get off the high horse and say, look, we're nothing. Just like Paul says of himself. We're nothing. Remember, Paul is speaking to baby. He's writing a letter to babies. Three years, no growth. They're on milk. Three years later, they're still on milk and they can barely take the milk. In verse 16, he says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you, resides in you? It's like, okay, cool. So I have the Spirit of the Lord, so I'm good to go. Don't forget. Let me read here in Hebrews 3. In Hebrews 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an Brethren, brethren, beware, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of, of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See? Oh, but once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. Okay. Once saved, always saved. It's not, a, it's not biblical. Oh, once saved, always saved. I believe once saved, always saved. I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. And look, you know, I'm, I'm 30 years old now. And I still believe the Bible, but I like my crack. I believe the Bible. I love Jesus. But, you know, I also go and do my yoga. And then I also go to Catholic Mass. And, you know, I also do Reiki. And you know what? I, I go to the strip clubs. And, you know, I take the finest meth from Chiapas, Mexico. But I, I did the altar call when I was 10. Once saved, always saved. In Luke chapter 8, verse 13, the Bible says this, But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while. Short-term believers is what the Lord is speaking about here. They believe for a while. And in time of temptation, fall away. You see? That's the last days. A great time of temptation. A great time, perilous times, perilous times. The great falling away is what the Bible says of it. It's, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty at all. Perilous times. The last days will be your heart will break if it's not breaking already. Why? Because people are entering, in the church, people are entering apostasy. Not so for the remnant. And if you're in the remnant, you know who you are. Because the Spirit testifies. And the Spirit is our comfort. 
you know judgment is coming if it is not already here. Knowing that judgment comes first in the house of God. We have to be wise. Yes, wise. Yes, fishers of men, fishers of women, but still wise. Satan is a fisherman too. That's why the Bible says, be wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. You see? Wise as serpents. Very interesting wording for the Christian. And yet peaceful as doves. In verse 17, in closing, he says, If anyone defiles or corrupts the temple of God, God will destroy him. For which temple of God is holy? Which temple you are? Let no one deceive himself. Very interesting because a lot of times Paul, Peter, they say, do not be deceived. Even Jesus, do not be deceived. But here, deception is done by oneself. Let no one deceive himself. You see? Just like in the Old Testament, you know, self-inflicted. You hear me say this is self-inflicted, self-inflicted, self-inflicted. What do we see here? Self-inflicted deceit. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age or supposes to be wise in this age or in this way of the world. Let him become a fool. That he may become wise. Do you know how counterintuitive this is? To the carnal man, to the carnal woman, this is very counterintuitive. Say somebody's in university and this person says, oh, I want to be smart. I want to be smart. I want to be smart. Well, what this verse is saying is to say, okay, drop out. Drop out. And then become wise. That's what, that's what verse 18 is saying. I'm likening it, likening it to, to that. You see? Let no one deceive himself, this self-deception. And he says, if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Understanding what is written, what we studied a couple weeks ago, how in, in ver chapter 1, verse uh, um, 27, God has chosen the foolish things of the world. To put to shame the wise, you see, those whom he chooses, vessels, as his co-workers, as his assistants, as his helpers for the field. You see, and understand, the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. But it's the weeds. The weeds are the one who will say, oh, you, you, you cause division. You cause division. Look, we're, 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 you know, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. You're carnal. That's what it says in verse, verse uh, four. Is to take such a person and say, you know what? You want to teach grave soaking? You're no Paul. You want to teach the holy laughter? You want to teach the Holy Spirit is glitter? You're no Cephas. You're no Apollos. Remember chapter 16 of Romans? In, in Romans 16, verse 17, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. Contrary to the doctrine. Very important. It's not just to say, uh, 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 note those who cause divisions and avoid them. It's, it doesn't say that. 
Paul says to Christians in Rome, Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to doctrine. The church should be wise. Today, the church should be wise. What you see emanating from the pulpits today should never happen. The church is not only asleep, but the church is on milk. Milk drinkers. And you know what? They like the milk. They like the milk. And it's very dangerous, especially knowing that the lion roams around, that the enemy roams around like a lion for whom he may devour. Searching for whom he may devour. And who gets devoured? The weak. The babes. The youthful. Those who are not mature. But God's co-workers, God's assistants, God's helpers, they have swords. And they know how to use the swords. You see, the Bible testifies of these things. The word of God teaches us of these things. But the last days will be perilous and are perilous. It's not called perilous for nothing. In closing, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. You see, very interesting here because academia is antichrist. I mean, you look at academia today, it's very antichrist. Professors who, you know, they, in, in day one, they say, are you a Christian? You know, they, uh, politics and religion. Are you a Christian? You know, yes. Okay, I'm going to destroy you. Are you are, are you a uh, conservative? Yes. Okay, I'm going to destroy you. Uh, 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 the, the professors, they get on their high horses. They think they're, you know, they think they're the stuff. But the Bible says here, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Academia is antichrist. They think Christians are fools. You know what God says to those in academia, those professors? Hey, professor, you profess to be wise. You're the fool. That's what the Bible says. In verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches or he traps the wise in their own craftiness. And you know what? Foolishness cannot be denied. Look at what. Look at what academia is saying about gender, gender studies. You know, you go to university. Oh, yeah, I'm going to take a class, uh, gender studies. You go to gender studies, you, you know, you're a layman. You're, so to speak, layman. And you're like, okay, I'm in university now. Wow, higher education. Wow, academia. You sit down the first day of class and they start, oh, you're a Christian? We're, I'm going to destroy you. Okay, so you're like, okay, now uh, I know this is going to be a rough semester. And then they start saying, okay, we're going to teach gender studies. So here there are 50 genders, 62 genders. It's like, what? 62 genders? You know, I grew up, it was just male, female. I read the Bible, male, female. And today, in these last days, 62. And it's growing. You know, a couple years ago, it was like 38. Now it's 62. It almost doubled in just the span of a couple years. Wow, what a... At what an astronomical rate we are devolving as a society. But yet what we see is the Lord is revealing himself. Because he catches, he traps the wise in their own craftiness. The Lord is making himself known. 
I mean, do you remember in our study in Exodus and how the Lord made himself known? I mean, ultimately, mean, it was like, you know, he made himself known when the, when the, when the ocean opened up, the, the, sea, the, the, the sea opened up. And Israel, they walked on dry ground, and the Lord definitely made himself known. But you hit the rewind button, and the Lord made himself known with frogs. Oh, they're just frogs. No big deal. It was just, you know, we had a, a little night where the frogs were just active, you know. The scientists come in. Oh, yeah, you know, there was mating season in the frogs, and, you know, climate change is causing this. And so the frogs came out and did this, and... You know, climate change is causing this water, this body of water to turn red because of whatever. That's for the academia. The wisdom of the world. In accordance to the zeitgeist. The spirit of the age. Going with the ebb and flow of culture. But God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God never changes. We're seeing the wise being trapped in their own craftiness. The Lord is making himself known slowly but surely. I mean, ultimately, I mean, like if we were to go back to Egypt and see the frogs, there would be some people. In Egypt, there would be a lot of people. But in the camp of Israel, in Goshen, oh, they're just frogs. Eh, no big deal. But then there would be some in the camp like, whoa. Is this the Lord? The Lord, is he making himself known? And in the hail, whoa. This is definitely the Lord. That's what we're seeing today. The Lord is making himself known as he further stupefies. As he further condemns academia, the wisdom of the world, is further condemned in their stupidity, in their foolishness. Because you go into university, you take your genders course, genders classes, gender studies. Oh, there's 62 genders. I had no idea. What are these genders? Names I've never even heard of before. You read your Bible, there's just two. 62 genders. Look at abortion. Look at abortion. Where you have politicians who say a baby is not a human, legally not a human being until they leave the threshold of the hospital doors. And until that happens, they are not legally a baby. It's not a human life. Look at abortion where they're saying, you know, a baby can be born and they leave the baby on the table, freshly born, moving, breathing. And with the doctor, the mother makes a decision. I don't want to be a mother. It was a big mistake. And they can kill the baby right there. Whoa. W-O-E exclamation point. Whoa. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And judgment will be upon such people. Unless they repent. And believe in Jesus Christ. But we're seeing the door of grace inch closer and closer and closer to being shut. The fullness of the Gentiles. 
And what is it going to look like when the Holy Spirit is lifted? He who now restrains is lifted. What will that world look like? A guy wants to rape a girl? Does it? There's no conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's no, no, nothing to restrain. And human, I don't say, say nothing to call the Holy Spirit nothing, but like no opposing force to the uh, machinations of men. And women, a guy wants to cheat on his taxes, oh, no conviction, no, no, no moral conviction whatsoever. Remember, the Holy Spirit goes into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of, and of judgment. And when he's gone, what will that world look like? You see, you go to a grocery store, someone wants to steal your groceries, they take your groceries. You get mad, you say something to them, then they beat you up. You see? That's the last days. Perilous times. Oh, but we're not going to be here. The Lord is going to rapture us. The Lord will not do this. The Lord will not hurt us. The Lord will not harm us. You know, it is written, it is prophesied. Is it really? I'm not a pre-tribulation rapture person. I don't teach the pre-tribulation rapture. Oh, but Philadelphia, the Lord makes these promises. Don't forget Smyrna. Don't forget Smyrna. Listen to our study. When we're done with this, listen to our study. You know, when is the rapture? It's kind of long. You're going to have to scroll and look for it, but listen to it. When is the rapture? What will the world look like when the ministry of the Holy Spirit is lifted up? I mean, we're going to have to be wise, really wise. Set curfews, be out in the day. I mean, I've been on vacations, but we have a friend that lives in San Francisco. And he told us, he said, if you come to visit San Francisco, set, let's say, set a curfew. And so before COVID, you know, we went to San Francisco and we had a great time. It was a lot of restaurants. We had a great time, but we set a curfew. We weren't out late at night. You know, we set a curfew, you know, like 7 p.m. after 7, we're, we, we're back in the hotel. You know, watch TV, have some leftovers, you know, watch TV, whatever, you know. Do some reading, you know, whatever. And it's like, okay, there's a set of curfew. Wake up in the morning, you know, daylight. Everything daylight. Everything We're doing everything during the day. Nighttime, nope, we're not out. The church is going to have to be wise as we navigate our way through the last days, through the perilous times. But where are the wise? You see a lot of babies. And even the babies will hate you. Why? Because you speak like I'm speaking today. And they will hate you. We're just in chapter 3. It's gonna, Paul is going to do some hard hitting to babies. And I, I, I don't say hard hitting to like, you know, hurt them. But to call to account. Just like he says in verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? Say, so If that's the case for you, he's saying that to the church, then this needs to happen. And we're going to see Paul, he does some hard hitting. Or he says, your rejoicing isn't a good thing, guys. He says that to the church, to Christians. I don't think Paul would be well-received in the church today. 
And so look what happens here. He, he In verse 19, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. So we talked about abortion. Look at politics. You see, politics, academia, the wise, according to the, uh, the wisdom of the world, the wise people in the Green New Deal, they want to build a train from mainline United States. They want to build train tracks to the island of Hawaii, a train to Hawaii. Foolishness on full display. A Green New Deal, a train to Hawaii? Are they serious? Are they really serious? Oh, but climate change, we have to prevent this. We have to stop this from happening. Let me tell you something. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Brother Peter Cephas says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. This is biblical global warming right here. Verse 10. Second Peter chapter 3, biblical global warming. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Biblical global warming. Do you know who wants to prevent this from happening? The Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist. And a huge attempt, a huge scheme to turn people away from the truth of God's holy word, that the elements will melt with fervent heat, heat, and both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. You see? It's satanic. It's satanic. Oh, but climate change, climate change, climate change. Listen, you cannot stop the events of the kingdom that is coming. It is coming. Oh, but we're going to prevent climate change and we're going to build a train to go from Los Angeles to Hawaii. Do you know how stupid that is? Fools. Just as written here in verse 19. He traps, he catches, he traps the wise in their own craftiness and foolishness is on full display. And as we see these things come to pass, the Lord is making himself known. see and he's going to intensify in making himself known earthquakes pestilence he's going to further make himself known but who are the ones who have ears who are the ones that have eyes you see what i'm saying when i say milk is dangerous milk is good for babies but it's still dangerous it's it's the same thing like a baby giraffe being born how beautiful it is to see a baby giraffe, a baby, baby giraffe, beautiful little creature, you know, long legs and can run and gallop. But that state of youth is dangerous. That's why the Lord made it to where they can quickly run. They can be born and then they can quickly run so that they can escape the mouth of the lions. What about us? Parents teaching kids. You have to teach your kids the word of God so that they can have strength, so that they can quickly run and learn to make these decisions for themselves. Because the enemy roams around like a lion. You see? 
In verse 20, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men. This is what the church was doing. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. And if they really wanted to boast of, yeah, I'm of Paul, then some of the things that Paul writes about, that wouldn't happen. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. Okay, that alone, that type of division isn't good. But what was being exposed was their envy, strife, and divisions. That, that's being disposed. And it's carnal. It's carnal. And he says, for all things are yours. Very interesting. All things are yours in verse 22. Whether Paul. So Paul's service, service was unto the Lord, but it was for the church. It was to God, but for them, the church. That's why he says, all things are yours. Paul's service to God and for them. Or Apollos, whose ministry was to God, but it was for them. They were the benefactors. But it was service unto the Lord, sacrificially living unto the Lord because they're God's fellow workers. Or Cephas, again, to God, but for the benefit of the church. That's why he says, all things are yours. You see, or the world. I mean, in uh, not to get ahead of myself, but in chapter six, verse two, Paul says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? You see, mature Christians understand this, that the church, that the uh, saints will judge the world. Mature Christians, baby Christians, the milk drinkers, they don't understand this. Why? Because they're milk drinkers. It's not to say shame on you. You're a milk drinker is to say, okay, here's your milk. Now, let's get the Cheerios, and now here's some bread, here's a sandwich, and, you know, here's a piece of chicken, and here you can eat the chicken by yourself, and here's the pork chop now, here's the steak, and, you know, here's the ribeye, and, you know, it's to grow. First grade, second grade, third grade, fourth, fifth, sixth, you know, middle school, high school, academia, that's in the natural realm, but in the spirit realm, we have to grow, matriculate. Maturity. Move on to perfection. And so in continuing here in verse 22 in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, or of the world, or life, or death. Because you see, life and death, life is eternal. What is death? What is death for the Christian? You know, oh death, where is your victory? There is no sting. Or things present or things to come. Remember, Jesus Christ is the same today, tomorrow, and forevermore. All are yours. We forget these things. Satan knows. Satan knows, and he's afraid. He knows exactly what the Lord desires to do. I mean, not exactly, like the entirety, but he knows the word of God. He wants to corrupt it. In you, in your life. He likes you on milk. He likes Christians on milk. He doesn't like Christians. But if there's going to be Christians, he wants them on milk. Why? Because milk drinkers are no threat to him. Look at what he can do inside. Look at how he can exploit carnality. You ever talk to non-believers? You try to talk to them about Jesus Christ and you share with them the things of the Lord. Say, I want nothing to do with Christianity. You guys are a bunch of crazy people, a bunch of hypocrites. I want nothing to do. Say, why? Why do you say that? Okay, let me tell you. And they say, because of this, 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 this. 
And you listen to the argument and listen, I agree. I'm in complete and total agreement. What do you mean you're in agreement with a non-believer? Well, the believer says they see hypocrisy in the church. So do I. They don't want to be a Christian because they were molested when they went to church. I agree with that. It's not good to be. I mean, that's they were molested. They were victimized in the church, so-called church, molested by a so-called pastor, not a servant of the, not, not a co-worker of the Lord, a wolf. But they don't under, the non-believer doesn't understand these things. So to talk to a non-believer and say, listen, you bring up valid points. And you know what? This might be shocking to you, but I agree with you. What? Have you ever talked to, to a non-believer? You say, I agree with you. And they're like, taken aback. What? You agree with me? What in the world kind of Christian are you? And to tell that person the brand of Christianity that you were exposed to is not biblical Christianity. You see? Because this should have never happened. Your victimization should have never happened. That was done by a wolf. And everybody was on milk. They couldn't protect you. They couldn't identify these things. And that's just talking to one non-believer. That's the mindset of one non-believer. But Satan doesn't mind the milk-drinking Christians. Why? Because he can take that one non-believer and through his mouth or her mouth can exploit the milk-drinkers and tell the world, you want nothing to do with the church. Look, they're a bunch. Look what they do. They, they're hypocrites. They victimize. They do all these things. You want nothing to do with the church. Here, let me give you this crack. Here, let me give you the Virgin Mary. Here, let me give you Buddha. Here, let me give you Reiki. Here, let me give you yoga and you can do your Kundalini. I'll make you feel real good. You see? He knows. He knows the promises of God unto his people. And he wants to prevent you from being a Christian. He wants to prevent you from, if you're a milk drinker, he wants to prevent you from becoming mature in Christ. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you to mature because the mature Christians, they can attack. They can fight. Remember? In, 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 uh, Acts 19, in verse 13, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. No personal relationship, notice. They didn't say in the name of Jesus, in the, in the, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered, this is Acts 19, verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. You see, Satan knows the Lord. Not no personal relationship, but... He knows the power of the Lord. 
And he knows who the co-workers are. And he wants to kill them. He wants to destroy them. Why? Because they're a threat in his efforts. Wisdom. You have to be wise. In verse 23, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. You see, what Paul is doing here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, look at what we've read so far. Paul has already mentioned their sainthood, but he's also addressed their babyhood. And he's also addressed the risks that are associated with that, which is, you know, in verse 17, if, 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 if God, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. It's pretty sobering. But then at the same time, Paul is going to talk about himself, not in a, I mean, it's not good what he writes about himself. I mean, it's it's beautiful, but I mean, the natural man, it, 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 he's it, he's nothing. He's nothing. Chapter three, verse seven. You know, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters is nothing. If you think you're a big shot, if you're a pastor, elder, and you want to be Mister Big Shot, you know, yeah, I'm an influencer. You need to repent because that's not meekness. You're nothing. Christ is everything. That's why I love John the Baptist so much. His students, hey, teacher, teacher, they go to John the Baptist. How he, how much time he poured into these people. The efforts, his studies, his praying time, he would pour into these people. And then his students to come to him, teacher. I mean, look at the, that relationship for them to, they see Jesus, they hear Jesus. But they, yet they come to their teacher. Teacher, what do we do? We hear this Jesus, but what do we do, teacher? And now for the teacher to say, oh, I'm an influencer. You stay here with me. No, John the Baptist. He says, he tells them, I must decrease. decrease and he must increase you guys you go to him and he's alone and then they chop off his head praise be to the Lord we're gonna end our study here and we'll pick up next week Lord willing in chapter 4 God bless you guys. Love you guys.